75, if you'll turn there with me this morning. And before we dive into this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I ask him to give us some help as we look at his word. Father in heaven, we believe that this is your word that you have given to us, that it teaches us everything we are to believe about you and what duty you require of us by faith in Christ. Uh, we ask, Lord, as we look at your word, you would give us understanding of it, that you would apply it to our hearts, that you would help us to see the gospel in this passage, and that you would use your word to shape us and mold us and, and transform us through the renewal of our minds and more into the image of your son, that we may live a life that glorifies you and honors you and trust in you, even when the world around us seems crazy, even when the circumstances of our life may feel like you are distant from us. Help us always to, to keep the faith that you are right there beside us, that you are near to your people. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And so one of the things that, that we believe as a church is that, that God is sovereign. And that really, all that means is that he is in control. He is in charge. Uh, that he is the ruler of the universe, the creator of the universe. And in our doctrinal statement, one of the things we say is that God is the, is the ruler of the universe who directs the affairs of the universe, of his creation, uh, according to his providence. And, and that word providence is just how he really he provides for the creation that he has created, how he governs over it, uh, either by supernatural means or by natural means that he has already put in place. He rules over his creation. Sometimes we have this idea that, that God is this like clockmaker who winds up the clock and just lets it run out till it runs out. And sometimes we have that view of God. That God kind of created everything, set everything in motion, but that he's not really involved in his creation. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is actively involved in his creation. Uh, that he is in charge, he is on his throne, and that he is ruling and reigning even now as we speak. And as we look around us and in the world around us and even in our own lives, it is likely that you have experienced some terrible things. It is likely that you have experienced some things that, that were really hard. That maybe you've got this devastating news about family. Maybe you have a medical diagnosis that they did not go the way you wanted it to go. Maybe you're having a lot of issues at work and there's just problems there, problems within your family, your marriage, whatever it is. And there are times in those circumstances when sometimes we feel distant from God or that God is distant from us. And as we look here in Psalm 75, that's kind of the situation that they find themselves in. This psalm is written by a guy named Asaph, and he was just a guy who basically directed the music for the worship of God in Israel. And we don't really know the, the entirety of the circumstance of how Psalm 75 came to be. But if you look before this psalm, in Psalm 74, uh, we see that it's like this plea to God, you know, why have you not acted? When are you going to act? Are, are things going to keep happening? You've done all these things. Will you not deliver us? How long will our foes scoff at us and mock us? And in chapter 75, which is what we're going to be looking at today, it seems to be kind of a response to that, this confession that God is still in charge, that God is on his throne, even when the world around us seems to be falling apart. And that's what I believe God has for us this morning, is, is that we can trust God because he's in charge. 
Even when he seems distant, he's still on his throne. Even when you have that bad news, even when uh, you're experiencing the effects of living in a broken and sinful world. Uh, Just because God's in charge doesn't mean that we're puppets. Okay, that's not what we're saying here when we say that God is on his throne. Uh, He has given us something that is called moral agency. In other words, we can make choices. And sometimes when you live in a broken world, broken, sinful people are going to do what? Make bad choices and do terrible things. And there are times when you suffer for no fault of your own because we live in a broken world. And at those times especially, we can feel that God is distant from us. But can I encourage you this morning from this passage that we can truly trust God because He is in charge. And since God is in charge, we can trust Him even when the circumstances of our life make Him seem distant from us. And as we look at this passage, we're really going to be unpacking and seeing uh, four of the reasons why we can still trust God when our world seems to be falling apart, when we get that bad news, when God seems far away. And so that first one there is in verse 1, that first reason we see. And this reason that we can trust God, even when He seems distant, is because He acts on behalf of His people. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a part of the people of God. And He acts on your behalf. Notice there in verse 1, it says, We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. Notice how it says, We give thanks. Uh, Right there, the people of Israel, remember, this is a song they would sing during the worship of God. And they're singing, confessing together, saying, We give thanks to you, O God. The people of Israel together are giving thanks to God for, verse 1 still there, your name is near. Uh, The idea of name, especially in the Old Testament, when it talks about God's name, it's talking about all of his attributes. Everything that he is, his, his holiness, his sovereignty, his justice, his grace, his mercy, his love, everything about God is summed up when it says your name. And then we see that it's not only that his name is there, but his name is near. That's something that we would do good to remember, even in those trying circumstances in our life, is that everything that God is, is near to us as his people. He has made himself known to us. And notice what it says there. If we recount your wondrous deeds, we recount your wondrous deeds. In other words, they're giving thanks to the God who made himself known to them and have thought about what he has done for them in the past. And a lot of times when we're going through trying and difficult circumstances, when God feels distant from us, we can look back over the course of our life and see other times in our life when things were tough, when things were hard. And we can see how God got us through them and we can trust that he will get us through the situations that we find us in now. His past faithfulness. We can trust in God and his past faithfulness because that past faithfulness of God enables us to trust him even in the midst of whatever we're going through here and now. And so they remembered how God had worked on their behalf in the past and, and they recounted their wondrous deeds. They talked about what God had did. And what did he do? Well, we think about when, when Adam and Eve, they, they sinned in the garden. And they were told, you eat this fruit, you're going to die. And so they were terrified. They're trying to cover themselves. 
And what does God do there? He gives them a promise that there's going to be one that comes who crushes the head of the serpent, who, who handles this sin problem. And to point to that, what does he do? God goes and sacrifices an animal. He spills the blood of an animal and covers Adam and Eve with the skin of this animal. All pointing to the fact that one day he, he would send his own son to die on the cross to spill his own blood for our sins and we will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's one of the wondrous deeds that God did. But we think about when God had set out to judge the entire world in the days of Noah. And he went and he found, he, he, he showed grace to Noah and Noah found favor in his sight. And, and he told Noah, build this big boat, this ark. I'm going to flood the world. And Noah, by faith, did what he was commanded. And, and Noah got into that ark. And God flooded the world and destroyed everything except for those that were in the ark. Destroyed all the wickedness of the, of the people. And he spared those people. Noah and his family, or we think of when the, the Hebrew guys, the Israelites, were, were captive in Egypt. Uh, they were there and they were in bondage and God said, I'm going to deliver you out of the hands of the Egyptians. And that's exactly what he did. He led them out of the hands of the Egyptians. We recount the plagues that we see, the water turning to blood, the, the locusts coming down, the frogs that were in everything, the death of all the firstborn. God used all those things in order to deliver his people out of their bondage, out of their sin. And all of that points to what? Christ and the deliverance that we have from our sins. The Bible tells us if anyone is set free, he is free indeed. And in Christ, according to Romans 6, we have been set free from sin. You see, God acts on behalf of his people. And since he acts on behalf of his people, we can trust him even when the circumstances of our life make him seem very far away. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, it says, We know that those who love God, all things work together for good. Notice it doesn't say that everything that happens is good. It doesn't say that because there are some times in our life when terrible things happen and when you have terrible things done to you. But even in the midst of those things, God somehow beyond what I can think is able to bring something good even out of those terrible times. For those, and he does that not for everybody, but for those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, for those who belong to him. And then he tells us why. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, all the things that we go through in this life leading up to the time we, we get to see Christ face to face, in some way, God can use those things to make us more like Christ, to conform us more to the image of Christ, to help us live that life of faith and that life of holiness. And so he acts on our behalf. Uh, God does everything for his glory and our good. Doesn't mean everything that happens to us is good. But even in the midst of those terrible things that happen, we can still trust God because we know he's working on our behalf. And not only do we see that God works on our behalf, we see that since God is in charge and God is God, he rules however he sees fit. That's part of being God. You can do whatever you want to do. And so God rules as he sees fit. And since God rules as he sees fit, we can trust him even when he seems distant to us because he is still on his throne. He does what he wants to 
when he wants to, by whatever means that he wants to do it, because he is God. Uh, how many of you ever heard the phrase, absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And when we look around the world today, we see people when they, when they get power, especially those that, that do not follow Christ. I mean, followers of Christ can still fall into that sin. But we look around us today and we see that sinful, broken people, when they get power, what do they try to do? Cling to that power by whatever means necessary. Hold on to it. Expand it. Grow it. And keep it all for themselves. Why? Because they are broken and sinful people. And we see that when humans have absolute authority and absolute power, what tends to happen is terrible things. They tend to exploit those who, who are weak. They tend to exploit those who, who, who are not able to fend for themselves in order to keep power for themselves. But here's the good news. God is not like that. God does have absolute power, but he is not corrupt in any way. You know, it would be a terrifying thing if God was not good. Because God has all power. All of it. And yet, He is still good. He is a good God who is not corrupt at all. And so since God has all power, since God rules however He sees fit, we can trust Him even when He seems distant from us. So in verse 1, it talked about this, this, this corporate praise that they had. And then as we move into verses 2 through 5, we actually see that God begins to speak. And that's kind of how this passage is broken down. It goes from different sections of different people speaking. And in this section, we see that God is now speaking. And he says, at the time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. And so when is God going to judge? Whenever he sees fit. At whatever time he sees fit. A lot of times we want things on our, on our timetable. Like sometimes I just want God to act right now. But that's not always God's will to act right now. And so he says, I will judge at the set time that I appoint. At whatever time he chooses in his own timing, according to his own timetable, he will judge. And that idea of judge is, is really rule. He will rule. He will make decisions. He will exercise authority at whatever time that he sits, sees fit. Uh, this is pointing to, yes, like the here and now when he makes judgment, but also to that time when he returns and he makes all things new. It all is going to happen according to his own timetable. Uh, but not only that, uh, we, we also begin to see that it's also according to whatever methods that he wants to in employ, whatever methods they, that he wants to use. Notice there uh, that, we, that we see Verse 3, the earth totters, it, it goes back and forth, all the inhabitants, but it is he who keeps steady its, its pillars. He tells them, verses 4 through 5, it's this warning to the wicked not to just boast. And then in verse 6 and 7, we see that, that God is the one who executes these judgments. And so in verse 6 specifically, I want you to notice there. It says, for not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment putting down one, lifting up another. Uh, God, sometimes his providence, his, his rule is invisible. We do not always know for sure this is the hand of the Lord and we don't like to see the sign in heaven that's going around and flashing. We don't see a marquee down the road that says God's acting here. Sometimes it's invisible to us, but God 
acts using either the ordinary means that he has put in place. Notice there, verse 6, how it says, it's not from the west, it's not from the east, it's not from the wilderness. Uh, back in those days, the enemies of Israel were camped out to the north, the east, the south, and some kind of like to the southwest and northwest. And there was this wilderness area also on the outside of Israel. And whenever danger would come, where would it come from? Well, it would come from the east, the west, the wilderness. That's where people would come from to try to ransack and take over Israel. And what the Bible tells us here, it's not from those countries, it's not from those tribes, it's not from those people that come and take away authority. It is God who gives that authority. It's God who uses them to accomplish His purpose. In other words, God can use nations and people of any kind, of any place to accomplish His will, to make judgments. We think about uh, Pharaoh in, the, in, the, in Egypt in Romans 9. We read that the purpose that Pharaoh was on his throne was so that the world would know the power and the glory of God. When, when God's people were delivered out of Egypt, God had placed Pharaoh on that throne for a specific purpose that the world might know his power and his glory. God doesn't change. He still does the same things. God is the one who gives power. He's the one who takes it away. And so God, he, he rules, he, see, he sees fit. We can trust him even when, when the world around us seems to be falling apart, when he seems distant from us, because he is the one who holds it all together. He is the one who rules as he sees fit by his own timing, by his own ways, and with equity. Uh, notice it says equity and not equality. Equity and equality, completely different things. Uh, many of you know I'm a school teacher, right? And this is going to sound really weird, but bear with me for a minute. I do not teach with equality in my classroom. That would be a disservice to my students. This is why. Equality means that everybody gets the same thing at the same time. But let's say, for example, that I have a kid who is struggling with just adding numbers together. And I have another kid who's excelling at that and even doing great at multiplication. And, and like they're ready to move on to like some algebra and stuff. Well, let's say I just go and I teach the whole class adding. Well, I'm doing a disservice to this group of students over here who don't need any help with that. Well, let's say I just start teaching algebra. I'm leaving all these kids behind. That's equality, giving everyone the same thing at the same time. But equity is simply this. Everyone gets what they need when they need it. That's equity. And God says he judges with equity. There are times... When you need a good talking to. But there are also other times when you need the comfort and the peace of God in your life. There are times when you need to be convicted of your sin. And there's other times when you need God to just prop you up and keep your faith. He doesn't deal with all of us the same way at the same time. He deals with us and he deals with his people. And he judges the world with equity where everyone gets what they need when they need it. He rules as he sees fit. And so we can trust him no matter what we're going through. We also see that God gives and takes away authority. And because of that, we can trust him. We can trust him because he's the one that gives authority and he's the one that takes away authority. And we see that there in verses 6 through 8. Uh, in, this, in these verses, it now is no longer God talking. It's his prophet. He's talking and he... And he talks about how it is God who executes judgments. 
It's not the different nations who execute judgments. It is God who executes, who lifts up and puts down. And the idea of lifting up and putting down is the idea of authority. Those who are lifted up, they have authority. Those who are put down, their authority was stripped from them. And in those days, the way you had authority is you went and you conquered a tribe and a people and you would make them your your puppet states. And they would... You would have authority over them until another group would come and ransack you and take you over, and then you would become the other group's puppets. And what the Bible is saying here is that it is ultimately God who gives authority and takes authority away. All authority that we see around us is given to us by God. God is the one who places people in places of authority. When we when we vote, when we contact our legislatures. We need to understand that it's, it is God who is working providentially to place people in the offices that they are in. And for some of us, you're like, yes and amen. And for some of you, you're like, what in the world is going on? Why would God do that? And so you look around us and we see those things and we need to understand when people are in places of authority, it's because God has placed them there either to bless a nation or to judge a nation. And so when we come before the Lord and we see things going crazy around us, our world falling apart around us, we can remember that God is the one ultimately who gives authority. He is the one who takes away authority. He is the one that enables people to continue to rule, and he is the one who takes away their authority to rule. Because, we see here, verse 8, in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, foaming with wine well mixed, and he pours out from it. The idea here is of God's wrath is pictured as a, as a cup of fresh, good wine that is foaming and that people cannot help but drink the judgment upon themselves. That it is so good that they drink of the wrath of God, bringing themselves under His wrath until they completely get themselves slaughtered before the Lord. It's the idea that God takes His cup and he pours it out upon the earth. And we see there in verse 8, and they will drain it to the dregs. So they weren't just sipping upon the wrath because of their wickedness. It's like they took the whole bottle of wine and chugged it down to the very last drop. And they're saying that, and God's saying, that is what it is like when I allow people to continue their wickedness. They just drink more and more and more of it, becoming intoxicated by their own wickedness until the day that they're judged. But here's the good news in that too. If they're still alive, God has given them a chance to turn to Him. God has given them a chance, given you a chance to trust Him because He gives power. He takes it away. He gives life. He takes it away. He give, is giving you time to turn to Him, to trust Him. And so, because God acts on the behalf of his people, because he rules as he sees fit, because he gives power and takes it away, we can trust him and we can also trust him because we know that ultimately he judges the wicked and he lifts up the righteous. He judges the wicked and he lifts up the righteous. And that's what we see in verse 9. It goes back to like the people, the, the person who wrote this ASAP saying in verse 9, I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. And it's kind of this confession of faith that we're all supposed to make 
as an individual saying, I will praise the God of Jacob even when the world's falling apart, even when wickedness is, is going rampant, even when I'm experiencing the effects of sin in my own life and I'm experiencing the effects of other people's sin in my own life, I will still sing praises to God because he's on his throne. He is trustworthy. He is going to work it all out. It is all going to be well. And then in verse 10, we see what I believe to be God talking. He says, all the horns of the wicked, I will cut off. Have any of you ever dealt with a high-headed bull or a high-headed cow? What do they do? They rear their head. They act crazy. Stubborn, dangerous. And God says, I will cut off their horns. And the righteous, though, the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. This is just an imagery to say that God's going to saw the horns off the wicked to take away their power, take away their authority, but that the righteous he will lift up. If we uh, go back into Romans 8, it talks about how we face all these things in our life. Verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing, but the glory to be revealed to us. And then we go on and we see verse 30, which comes right after what we read earlier about everything working together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And in verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Justified is simply when you're forgiven of your sins. You're made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've trusted him. But the last phase of our salvation, the last kind of link of this chain of salvation is our glorification. And what that is, is when we are lifted up into heaven, when our faith is made sight. That is the goal, is that God is bringing us through our lives, through all the trials that we face, and one day we will be glorified. We will be lifted up with Him in heaven because if we have trusted Christ, Ephesians 2 tells us we are already seated with Him in the heavenly places. Our destiny is good, as sure, as certain as it could ever be because God has paid for it. And one day, He is going to make all things new, that there will be no pain, no more sorrow. We will not have any more of living under the effects of living in a broken world. In other words, people aren't going to be killed. People are not going to be stealing from each other. There's going to be no more cancer. No more dementia, no more heartaches, no more suffering, no more relationship problems, no more abuse, none of those things because God is coming back and he's going to make all things new. And guess what? He already started that almost 2,000 years ago on a cross because Jesus himself took our sins and he was lifted up and crucified, pouring out his blood so that we who are not righteous, can become righteous by faith in Him. And so if we have trusted in Christ, just as Christ raised from the dead and into heaven, we too will be raised and exalted and lifted up because of our faith in Christ. Dear friends, God is in charge and because of that, you can trust Him. You can praise God even when it's rough, remembering his past faithfulness. Think about how God has been with you through everything in your life 
and trust that He is going to help you get through what you're going through even now. And remember that even though we want things to happen like now, like we want it now, that God works in His own timing and we can simply trust His timing by faith. Simply trust and believe that His timing is perfect and trust that God is going to make everything work out just how it is supposed to. There are times in our life when we do not know the answer. We do not know what tomorrow holds. We do not know what our life is going to bring. And we don't know how we're going to make it through what we're going through. And at those times, we as Christians must just simply trust that God is in charge. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are in charge, that you are on your throne. And Father, we just pray that this truth would become a firm foundation of our faith and our trust in you, no matter what we face in this life. Uh, that, that this would strengthen our faith as we live in this world that is broken with the pains and heartaches that, that come with it. That we can always trust you to, to be near to us, to work on our behalf, and to do what is right all the time. Father, we don't always have the words to say. We don't always have the thoughts to think, but help us always to think this and believe this, that you are in charge, and so we can trust you. Father, we thank you for everything you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen.